Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, where we discuss ministry, marketing, and leadership for good. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode you get to join me in conversation with some of the most interesting changemakers and groundbreakers from across Canada and beyond. Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast. I am so excited that you get to meet my friend, Joy Byers. You should know her. Joy serves as the discipleship pastor at the People's Church in Toronto and is a former IT professional, a very unique combination of gifts. I first met Joy through a phone call about four years ago where we connected over missions and our mutual passion for making systems work to connect people with their area of gifting. Now, be prepared because this is a really honest conversation where Joy and I discuss the benefits of technology and systems as tools for discipleship, we talk about our need for diversity in the church and in our lives in general, we talk about race, friendship, and belonging, and needing to break down old ways of thinking, especially around diversity, so that we can find new unity. It's an important conversation, and I have a good sense that this is just the first part of many. Let's get into it. I am so excited that you get to meet my friend, Joy Byers, today. Um, I actually met Joy through a phone call. I don't know if you remember this. Mm -hmm. Through a phone call, it was a number of years ago now, probably Four years ago? I'm going to say at least four. Yeah, at least four. four. And um, I actually forget why I was calling you. I, somehow, <laughs> somehow we had connected and I shared that I had been with Operation Mobilization. And I think you were overseeing missions for People's Church at that time. Is that right? No, it was more the women's and discipleship. Discipleship. But okay. it had a strong tie to missions. Okay. <laughs> so we just connected and we and we just talked. I had never seen you. I had never seen a picture of you. I didn't know anything about you. I had never met you. And we jumped on the phone and we talked forever. And it was really, really good. And so I'm excited because now that I have gotten to know you more, I see that there's a lot that we can learn about ministry, marketing, leadership for good. Mm-hmm. And I know enough to know that this is going to be a very good, honest conversation. Is that fair? That is fair. <laughs> honest is good. <laughs> so, Joy, tell us about what, what does your life, you were discipleship and women's ministry. Is that what you're doing now? Where are you? What do you do? Huh. So, I am currently at the People's Church and I serve as our discipleship pastor. Um, I love getting to do that because I get to connect people with their passion and gifting, helping them connect better to God, but also engage them in the mission of God. So, mm. to me, disciple, it's not a separate thing. So, they all go together. Um, I've been there for this is 2020, this is seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love what I do. It's a lot of fun. And you came to this. So one, let's just jump, dive into this because we had a really mm-hmm. funny conversation. I think it was just this summer mm-hmm. or maybe it was last winter. We had a funny conversation um, because you don't come from a ministry background. Is that correct? No, I don't. Tell <laughs> um, us about your background. <laughs> so my background, I am a certified project manager and in certain technologies and development platform. So I was a senior systems business consultant. So my background is all tech, logistics, systems, and how things go together to help us be able to move things forward. So stepping into ministry was a far stretch from what I had learned, (laughs) studied, and I would dare say comfortable with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what is uncomfortable about it? Let's just poke the bear. (laughs) What's uncomfortable? What 
What could possibly go wrong when you have a person who is systems oriented coming into a church? Uh, This is, I can't believe we're going here already, but okay. Um, So for me, things have structure. There are systems that support it and it helps us do well what we need to do, which is caring for our people. When there are no systems, it's much harder to care for people, especially if you're in a smaller church, yes, you can know a lot of people, but to keep track of all the details and the minutia. So if I'm doing something with someone and you need to be able to interact with that person, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a system that you could check and say, okay, this person has visited them, this is what has mm-hmm. happened, and here's how we can help them in the next steps instead of, hmm, not sure if anything has happened, so let's just start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we we do a disservice when we don't use strong systems to be able to support what we do from a mm-hmm. ministry standpoint. That is really good. So what you're talking about is the church could use a contact a relationship management database system of some sort. Absolutely. And do churches normally have that? Yeah, some do, some don't. It's not whether they have them or not. It's whether they actually use them or not. Um for some reason, so many people seem to think that technology is not something that we should be using in a ministry mm. context. When I think of Jesus way back 2,000 years ago, can you imagine what he knew about what would come um, and the systems that we would be able to put in place so that we could share and spread the gospel even further? Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's just a natural fit and it's a blessing that in this day and age, we can do that and connect with so many more people. So technology can actually be a discipleship tool? Technology is a discipleship Tell tool. Tell me about that. Um, so for us, um, we have on-site face-to-face groups, but we also do off-site groups because not everybody, especially if you're in a larger church, can come back to the main campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will run online courses or online sessions and have people connect over Facebook groups or use something like a Zoom platform to be able to connect, to pray together, to worship together, to study God's word together and talk about where God has them in mm-hmm. their own communities and neighborhood. And you get to see this beautiful woven tapestry of how God is working around the city in the church where I am from versus just in one little aspect. So it's a really cool thing to see how God is at work in so much more of a broad context. Mm -hmm. And even with our missionaries, we're able to connect with them when they're overseas. Mm -hmm. It gives us FaceTime. So I can talk to my mission friends in Uganda face-to-face, and I get to see Mm -hmm. their kids, and I get to see what's happening in day-to-day life. So it builds deeper relationships. And was it a hard road? to get to that? Like, I guess, I mean, honestly, I'll tell you, I remember um, the pain that my parents actually went through when their new pastor, uh, who was, my parents had been at the church for years, and the new pastor had never contacted them. And one time he called them, and my mom was so excited that he had called them, but he called them because he looked at the wrong person in the church directory, and he had called them by mistake. So no one ever contact, like the pastor had never called them. And so, and that's a big deal in a smaller church. And I just think if they had a CRM, (laughs) they could see like, had the pastor sent them an email, had the pastor called them, you know, did they have the care they needed? So I see the value of this. So is it, how do you get, how do you do it? Like what, what, what golden calves do you need to lay down also to be able to start using tech in a church context? 
And it, this is a conversation that you need to have as a team. Um, so first, you need to prayerfully discern who are the people that have fallen through the cracks mm. because you didn't have a tool in place. And it's not to lay blame at any one place, but truly to understand that as a church, as people in ministry, our primary goal is to care for people. And in caring for people, how can we best do that? What is the tool that will help us be able to see on a broader scale how we're connecting with people or how we're not connecting with people? Or if you've been in a group for a number of months and you suddenly fall off the face of the earth, there's a prompt to me to pick up the phone and give you a call. Hmm. I may not recognize right away that I haven't seen you, but if something notifies me, it's like, hey, She hasn't been here for a little while. I can check in with you and see, is everything okay? Maybe you have decided to go to another church, but maybe something's wrong and you just haven't been able to reach out and connect, especially in seasons where um, people go through depression or challenges of different sorts. We're not always aware and it's not because we don't care. It's just because the nature of what we do, there are just so many people, it's hard to keep that all in your head and be able to remember everything. Hmm. So it doesn't take the place of relationship. Absolutely. It facilitates relationship. It facilitates it and helps to build them stronger. So, okay, some people listening may be like, okay, Joy, that's great for you to say. You're at the People's Church. You're a tech person. You can figure this stuff out. Um, I am, okay, you probably are still, um, but, you know, they might say, I'm a leader that is doing the job of three people and I'm stretched. I know nothing about this. I am. I don't even stay up on Facebook with people. Um, how do you do this? Are there? Do you know any tools? Like I can think of one tool that I know for CRM that is a free tool that is pretty easy to use called HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Um, but are there other things that you know? Of? Like, is can it, can any size church do this, or is it just for the large people's church? I guess that is the essence of my question. No, I believe any church can do this. And HubSpot is the one that I think of as a free tool Mm -hmm. um, right off the bat. But there are Christian organizations that help resource churches at the level where they're at. So they're not going to give you a big church solution if you are a smaller church. Mm. Um, They work with your budgets. They work with what you have. Alternately, there are all sorts of groups out there on the web. It doesn't take... 10 years to figure it out. Just invest a little bit of time and it will save you so much in the long run. Mm. So a little bit upfront investment in time and effort on your part Mm -hmm. or on someone's part, which is even better, where it's their gifting. So somebody in your congregation Mm -hmm. is a tech geek. Somebody in your congregation actually already knows what tools are out there, how this can help the church. Tap into those people. And as you tap into them, they can bring you those solutions so you don't have to carry the load on your own. We are the body. We each have our area of gifting and passion. So leverage that, help them to own the solution, and they will be your best advocates for those systems. And we're going to have James Kelly as a guest on the Changemaker podcast. We're going to talk about tech. Mm-hmm. But I think <laughs> one of the examples he uses is if if you have a tech geek in your congregation, just don't make them only do the PowerPoint, PowerPoint, right? No. They can do more. Yes. And so, and I think I, I think we are afraid. And so this is a whole other conversation about why we're afraid. Like, why are we afraid of technology in the church? Because we think it takes the place of the Holy Spirit. We oh. think it's 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 not the right way to go because we've always done it this way. But you know what? To be relevant, 
we need to stay with relevant things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't mean that we compromise the gospel in any way. What it does mean is that we are given tools to help us advance the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, So when there is something sitting in your hand that can help you reach more people, connect with your congregation, equip them, use them in their areas of passion and gifting, why not? Hmm. Yeah. And you know, because I hear people say, they're like, you know what we need? We need an app. (laughs) (laughs) There's an app for that. (laughs) Do do they need an app? Probably not. But you know. Probably not. What you do need is a way to manage your people. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that actually is a great business principle Mm -hmm. and a great just organization principle. Mm -hmm. Um, So have you been able to use, I guess here's one of the questions. Have you been able to use your business experience and your corporate experience in the church and how has it worked? And I'd say this because, and I think you and I maybe talked about this. Mm-hmm. I went, I have gone through a lot of stages where I am too business for the church and too church for business. Mm-hmm. And so this is that awkward middle. But how do you find your place in all of that? I think for me, I was fortunate. The person who invited me into serving at the church in this capacity understood the value of systems people. So he brought me in to help on a contract basis to set up some systems for some things that were happening at the time. So he recognized the value of that. That said, that is not always the case because I have a really close friend who is was my counterpart in mm-hmm. business who that is not her experience by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And she is the one that does the PowerPoint on Sundays. <laughs> It is because she wants and desires so much to help her church move forward, and they are just a little bit stuck. So we have set about to praying for her church as mm. to see that this is a tool that can help and can benefit in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the best decisions that you have seen at your church um, in regards to just making this happen? I think for us, we've always had something in the back end. Um, The challenge has been bringing together disparate systems into one central place. And we're actually going through some of that right now. Um, And we're loving it. We have a cross-departmental team. It's highly collaborative. We get to see different perspectives because everybody on that team is not like me. Not everybody Mm. is a tech person. So we have your person who looks at tech and knows how to use it for their particular role, but has value as they speak into what it means to them in their context. So just making sure that we're hitting those key things that will help us all move forward well as a team versus just the tech people over there. Mm -hmm. So it helps everybody in the organization to be able to own it to a Mm -hmm. certain degree because it's good to have a system. It's not useful if you don't use it. Mm -hmm. So investing in a cross-collaboration team if your organization is big enough. If it's small enough, just inviting a smaller group to be part of that and making sure that you have a diverse number of people, some Mm -hmm. that are techie, some that are not, um, all of whom have an abundance of grace because Mm -hmm. it's absolutely Mm -hmm. necessary. But in that, you discover that you're all passionate about the same thing, Mm. loving God, loving others, and making sure you're doing it well. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think, so <laughs> outside of the church, people mm-hmm. might hear this conversation and they're like, duh, 
Like, really? <laughs> We've figured this out. Like, why are you even having this conversation? And so why do you think the church is lagging in this area? I mean, that's all, that's a big question, and I didn't prepare you for that. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's so funny because we have these conversations. Like, um, like for example, I talked to our team about me doing the podcast and having the agency, I was only 32 female when I was a former missionary starting this business. Like that was a, that's a big deal. That's a a uniqueness and a differentiator Mm -hmm. for our sector. But the younger people in our team looked at me and they were like, that's not unique. That's not. And so I think we're just lagging behind. I had to say, you know what? It is for this area. So why do you think we're lagging behind? Are we just afraid? I think in some ways we're afraid that we're being ungodly. Um, mm. We'll put quotation marks around that um, because we believe that we should be depending on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that using a tool replaces dependence on the Spirit because mm-hmm. what we do is Spirit-led. But having a tool helps us to do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to bring our best Mm-hmm. for the kingdom. We want to be able to invest in others. I mean, think about it. When technology wasn't a thing, a person could reach a group and you never heard the stories about what was happening. Mm-hmm. Today, through technology, a person reaches a group and you can hear about it around the globe, find out about shared experiences, connect people from different parts of the world, which was not something that we could do. And mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. This is when the gospel is going far beyond mm-hmm. what you could possibly imagine. So you sitting here can have impact all the way around the globe as you hear stories about the persecuted church and being able to mm-hmm. pray specifically for that or hearing about a need in another country and being able to connect with that or hearing about something that's perhaps happening in your own neighborhood, but through technology and a platform and a YouTube, somebody's YouTube channel, you found out about this grassroots organization that's doing some great work mm-hmm. that you hadn't heard about before. So it's a way for us to stay relevant and to be informed. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw this in my life with you too. Mm-hmm. I, you know, after we did this big event in August, I was worn out. And I remember I just shot you a quick message um, saying, could you pray, pray for me? Here are some things to pray for, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't do often enough. I'm actually, I need to get better. My coach is yes, really working do. with me <laughs> on asking, I need, I, would you be on my prayer team, Joy? Absolutely. I thought you might be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be asking people to be on my prayer team, but I did. I shot you an email and, or just not an email, just, just a, a quick message. message. And, um, and you messaged me back right away saying, you know what? God actually woke me up this morning to pray for you. And that put um this that put joy in my heart that's <laughs> so cheesy no but it honestly that that actually it lightened my load and you know before we wouldn't have had a way to do that and you and I have connected mostly virtually we've only been in the same room I think twice, twice. before and Today? yeah and a year ago <laughs> well a year ago and then at oh that's right. Three at, times. At the event. At the this event. is our third this time together. Third? But I feel like I've known you forever. We and I because we get to connect in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think um our world is getting smaller. Mm-hmm. And I know people are afraid you're talking about the church shrinking and post-Christian and this and that. But I think as we um use these tools, we're able to be united in a way that we've never been able to be before. Exactly, which to me is amazing. 
I mean, um, I went on a mission trip a couple of years ago to Uganda. And before we ever left here, we were able to connect, to pray, to see each other face to face. And the Mm. overwhelming thing that the team said is when we hit the ground, you should have seen, it was like we had known each other forever. Like the conversation started instantly and we were like in the back of the car. And it was an incredible experience because we felt like we knew each other before we actually met face to face. So it's building relationship to me. It doesn't get much better than that. What do you love most about what you do? I love connecting people to their passion. Mm. So um, technology helps me do that. Yes. (laughs) As we discover patterns um, about where you've served, where you've had the best experiences, who you've served with. And it helps us to help you refine and think about and pray through what is it that God is actually calling me to because you actually begin to see some patterns unfolding as to where things were great and exciting for you and where things were, hmm, I did it, but maybe it's not the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. And it helps people just to be able to do some self-reflection and some assessment on, okay, this was awesome. This was not. Maybe this year I'll try this. And as you pray and as you sit with God in that quiet place and he reveals that to you, it helps you to move in a direction. Um, and as people, more and more people do that, the body is actually functioning the way that she should. Mm-hmm. So, and the People's Church is a mission-hearted church, if nothing. Is that right? Yes, we are. I mean, this is, it sounds, um, you, I, I think the People's Church is one of those grandfather churches in Canada that has birthed a lot of things, and except for, or grandmother, mm. I don't know, birthed a lot of things and a lot of movements. But I think also not, you're not a flashy church. No. So people may not realize this, but I know um, in talking to Open Doors, you have at People's Church have partnered with Open Doors Persecuted Church. Um, OM, I know, has had a long-standing partnership uh, or relation, not partnership, a relationship, and a lot of organizations. So missions isn't um, necessarily cool anymore, or maybe it never was. But so why still committed to missions? Because it's what we're commanded to. Mm. It's not complicated. It is what Jesus left with us to do. It's like, go. So For us, it is, as we partner with different organizations, what does going look like today? What does going look like for the single mom at home with four kids? Mm. What does going look like for um, a married couple who wants to go overseas? What does going look like in an age where there are so many displaced people? What does it look like? And what does it look like to have people who have come to this country as they experience Christ and then have a desire to go back home. Hmm. Now you have someone who's from a particular area that has encountered Jesus, who's taking it back to the people where culture is not a barrier, Hmm. language is not a barrier, and it brings about an entire different face um, to mission. So it's never going to be the cool thing maybe for people, but it is the right thing. Mm, that's good. That is a good word. Ah. It doesn't have to be cool to be the right thing. Or nope. The right thing is often not cool, right? That is true. <laughs> and there we are. That's, mm. that's my life. <laughs> Dang it. Um, but I think, I and, and I mean, People's Church is in the most multicultural city, 
I think it's the most multicultural city in the world still. Is that correct? It still is. Um, I think we're still called a gateway city because so many cultures converge. So uh, is People's Church cross-cultural? Multicultural. What does that look like there? Um, Actually, I just did a training on Sunday and I said, I take for granted the diversity of our church. Mm. I mean, I encountered people from Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe, like pick somewhere. There is somebody from there. And as we encounter a multitude of nationalities, for us, it's normal. Um, Mm. I realize that for so many others, it's not. And it's actually a thing to Mm -hmm. teach on diversity and being able to function together. Um, Whereas for us, it's I eat all sorts of different foods because I am in a congregation with diverse people. So I learn about people through food. Mm-hmm. So. We're going for Indian after this. Yes, we are. Yes. And I need to get you spicy pickles from my spicy, house. Spicy <laughs> pickles and hot pepper hot jelly. Pepper, I'm, I'm on that. I'm on that. <laughs> there you go. But even as I think about that, my husband is passionate about different countries. So oftentimes if we're together, we'll be sitting with a couple from Ethiopia and he can tell them about the history of their nation and this whole dialogue begins and we're all part of the same mm. body. Um, so it, it's just a really cool thing to be able to experience that diverse nature and just experience different cultures through people. Mm-hmm. The family is big. And do you think that being a missions-hearted church, that you foster that, that diversity? Because there are a lot yeah. of churches that are not diverse in Toronto. Yes, there are. I've been to some. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't know if it was something that was intentionally fostered, but by virtue that we have traveled to so many places around the globe, I cannot tell you how many times people will come and say, you know, someone came from your church when I was a little child, and this is what I learned about Jesus, or this is what I heard, or this is what I encountered, or my grandmother or my grandfather experienced this, and it's from all over. So when people come to Toronto, they hear, they they automatically migrate there because Mm. they've heard of it before from way back when, Mm -hmm. and they've come and say, oh, this is where I'm going to go because I know they've been to my home country. Mm -hmm. Um, By virtue of that, I, you also get to connect with so many other people I know when I worked in the business sector, um, I went to India. And when I told my team that I was going to India, everybody, I needed to go and see everybody's mother. I needed to get (laughs) fed. They needed to take us on tours. And it was the coolest thing because I could share an experience with a group of people who were not Christian Mm. about something that was really important to me. And as they learned about what we were going to do, um, they were some of my biggest supporters financially. They said, Mm. you are going to help children in my area. They were flabbergasted in Florida. And I got to meet a lot of families and eat some really good, hot, spicy Indian food. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Today you can have the vindaloo and I will have the pasanda. (laughs) No, we're going to give you some vindaloo. (laughs) (laughs) On fire. (laughs) This is good. I, I, um, Oh, we have so much to talk about. So I want to talk, I mean, I prepped you and I said, I want to kind of go there on this. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about unity. And it's a conversation that we had, we've already had this conversation a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think we're going to dive in even deeper. 
Why not? Why not? It's a Let's public go. platform. Why not? Head first. <laughs> um, but at this, at Changemakers, one of the comments that I had from a younger leader was um, about the diversity in the room and the lack of diversity in the room. And and then I actually had one uh, man from Thailand who came, a young man from Thailand who was a visitor to our area, come up and ask me if the Chinese church is so big in Canada, where were they? Mm-hmm. And because they weren't at our event. And so this is something that I'm like, honestly, we need to go there. We need to have this conversation because the reality is, and I think you and I talked about this, the diversity in that room that day was more than at a lot of Christian events in Canada. So I think that we had at least seven people of color or ethnic diversity in the room um, out of 80 people or 79 people. And we had a lot of women in the room, which doesn't happen. And so when we're talking about diversity, we're not just talking about race. We're not just talking, it's it's gender, yeah, age, all of those things. And we need to get better at that. So... So can we jump into that? (laughs) How do we do that? Let's swim in the deep end for a while. Yeah. And I think, I mean, part of it, you kind of referred to this, is that um, we are family. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually a family conversation to have. It is. So how do we build, how have you seen building diversity at the People's Church and what is transferable? So I live in a very Caucasian town. (laughs) There is- With horses. I know, yeah. (laughs) I know all the people in my neighborhood who are not Caucasian and uh, and I try to find them. Mm -hmm. But like, how do we do this? How do we build diversity? How? What do we, how do we start? Uh. <laughs> is it by acknowledging that we're not diverse? I mean, part of it is just saying we're not diverse. We need to fix this. And actually, that is a huge part of it. For some, people will take offense to the fact when somebody says, okay, you're not diverse. I can't see me, quote mm-hmm. unquote, in the midst of this context because all that I see is a platform full of older people or of Caucasian descent or of a particular ethnic background, because it happens Mm -hmm. both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, once we acknowledge that, we can start to take the steps to shift that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know for, from a ministry context, I don't look for people necessarily in one particular area because that doesn't help. Um, because then we end up with token people in positions mm-hmm. and that's not what we're trying to accomplish. No. It's as we pray, as people come forth, it is inviting people into things. So I know a whole bunch of people of diverse backgrounds who are passionate about X, mm-hmm. inviting them into the dialogue, inviting them into the conversation and You'd be surprised. It changes the dynamic of the conversation because everybody's perspective is so different. Mm. Um, It may center on the same thing, but how they get there from a cultural lens, from an age perspective, from a gender-based perspective, it brings a fullness to that conversation. And as we have more and more of those conversations and we recognize the just the fulsomeness of it, I think we begin to realize, okay, I need somebody besides someone who looks just like me. Mm. Um, This past weekend, I was part of a a dialogue online 
And one of the things that I raised is being a woman of color, I am often brought in as the token person. I'm sorry. Which, <laughs> this is not you. <laughs> I know, but it I'm is, still sorry. But it <laughs> yeah. is the most annoying thing. But at the same time, I feel to some degree of responsibility because if nobody sees someone like me, how will someone else take that next step? Mm. But it happens on two fronts. One, I need to be present. But two, I also need to be inviting someone else. Mm -hmm. My circle of friends should be diverse. I Mm -hmm. live in Toronto. If my circle of friends all look like me or are all Christian, I have a problem. Mm. The tapestry of God's kingdom is not single gender, is not single ethnicity, is not single age. The church And as a microcosm of that, the relationships I have should be reflective of the church as a whole, not just one segment of it. Mm -hmm. Um, How we change that, we need to be intentional. We need to take time and sit back and say, okay, what does my platform look like? What does this ministry look like? Who are the leaders that are in place in the ministry? Am I inviting the next generation to step into something or have I close them out unknowingly because everybody looks like me. Mm. Um, So they're hard questions to ask, but they're very necessary questions Mm -hmm. to be asking. And I wonder if we don't serve this. I don't know. I'm going to be really honest. Mm -hmm. I feel so ignorant (laughs) about all of this. Well, and you know, I think it's because I'm afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or make someone feel like the token the token black lady on the pen, like, because you're not a token. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're my sister. But if you have good relationships, I'll tell you if you're making me feel like that. Mm. So it it requires a candor mm-hmm. in the conversation. So if invited into a space, I'm not afraid to tell you. It's like, okay, Ellen, mm, maybe that wasn't the best mm-hmm. idea because this is how it felt. Mm-hmm. If we don't have those dialogues and... I think in one of the, a conference I was at, they called them crucial conversations because mm-hmm. they're not easy. No. But if we don't have those conversations, it's never going to change. So being willing to have the hard conversation and the hard conversation is okay because you know what? It signifies that I care enough to have that conversation with you so that together we can make it different mm-hmm. so that the next person won't feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're not ignorant. So, well, and you know, I, I think probably I know more than a lot of people because I was a missionary for five mm-hmm. years. I lived cross-culturally with people from 40 different nations, like from Philippines and the Sudan and Latin America, like all over the world. I lived that way for a year and then for four years. Um, so a total of five years living that way. And then I actually married cross-culturally, although people don't think that, but like my husband's first language wasn't English. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I come from hippie Vancouver Island and he's from Mennonite, Ontario, like very, very cross-cultural. I was say, that so is people- not even close. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. So there's this cross-cultural awareness, but at the same time, I think, um, 
I want to, I want to understand how we change the dynamic. So like when that conference happens again, or if Mm -hmm. it does, or in our church, so like our church, even we had a really great sermon series on diversity in the church. We had Joe Saxton speak. We, she's brilliant. She's one of the best preachers ever. Um, We talked about white supremacy in our church. We had a whole sermon on being white supremacists. Which made people uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, which is really good. those seats. <laughs> but guess what? Our church is still really white. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, how do I do this? And I think, I wonder if part of the thing is it's not at a church level, it's at a person level. And um, Open Doors is actually an organization. This is, this is, I guess, a plug for them, but it wasn't intentional. They've taught me a lot about this because they have said, we treat the persecuted church as our brothers and sisters because they are. And we don't talk about them in ways that we wouldn't want to talk about our actual family members because they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of how I'm trying to process this. Like, so you are my real sister. So um, I think it's cool when you call me your sister because Instagram then targets me for ads that are ethnically (laughs) not related to me. No joke. This is actually a a real thing for me, Um, which makes us both laugh. It's comical. (laughs) Um, Instagram can't figure out my ethnicity. Anyhow, I like that. I think mm-hmm. that's great. It is. <laughs> because you are my real sister. So how do we do this? Like how, I guess on both sides of the fence, mm-hmm. how do I just make sure that you know you're my real sister? And it's relationship. And I think that Open Doors hits it right on the head. It's about people. Because at a organization level, there are things that you can do. But if all of my friends, when I step out of that space, all look like me and sound like me, nothing is going to change because that's when it becomes, oh, I need to put someone from an Asian descent in there, or I need to put someone Mm. of an Indian descent in there or someone, and it doesn't help. So Mm -hmm. how do we have relationships that are broader Mm-hmm. How do we have relationships that are inclusive of people of other cultures? Um, one of my neighbors and I, the building I live in, we have a lot of people from the Middle East and India. So the smells of food are phenomenal. Yes, delicious. <laughs> like so much cumin and garlic. Oh, <laughs> cumin, garlic, onions. Yeah. It's like the yeah. base of me walking through the hallways. But one of the my neighbors in our building Garlic is a thing that she doesn't do. So for her, it's been a struggle. Mm. Um, She says, I I can't come out of my apartment because all I get is that heavy smell of garlic. And we talked a little bit about her upbringing and her background to find out how she was raised. Um, And she was raised in a very conservative, very Caucasian neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, So she wasn't exposed to a lot of different spices and and smells and scents and all of the things that go with that. Um, So for her, it's been a real struggle and she is working through processing. How does that change when the very thing that I want to invite people to, which is a meal, I struggle to do because someone will bring a potluck dish that I cannot stand the smell of. Mm. Um, So it, it makes it tricky. Um, we haven't found a solution for her yet. Um, but the last conversation we had, which was actually just on the weekend, I said, so why don't you invite someone over and offer to cook a meal for them? 
Hmm. Um, and then we'll continue to work on if garlic for you is actually an aversion or if it's something that actually it makes her ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is something that makes you ill, then we can address that from a different perspective. But invite someone over and you cook the meal mm-hmm. um, and share that with them. But also understanding that people from other cultures, they also want to be able to share something with you. So mm-hmm. ask them to bring a dessert or Mm -hmm. a cultural drink that they would normally have in their hometown. Fanta. (laughs) (laughs) It's around the world. You know, you are right. Orange Fanta to be exact. Orange Fanta, very specifically. (laughs) Very, or Fresca. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Um, The two, but just inviting people to be part of something. And if there's something that's challenging you, maybe you work with that part yourself Mm -hmm. and invite them to bring other things. So can I ask you a question? Oh, oh, of course I can um, ask you a question. This is going to for a little while. I've been asking a lot of questions. So because I think in Canada, we can be kind of arrogant and say r- racism isn't the same here <sighs> as in the United States. That's an American problem. It's not a Canadian problem. Uh-huh. True or false? <laughs> false. 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 So false. can you tell me your experience with that? Are you comfortable with that? Yep. Um, In the States, I know when somebody doesn't like me. In Canada, a lot of people will say lovely things to my face and then say the very same things that somebody else will say about me in a different country. And I would rather you be upfront and tell me you don't like me than be a hypocrite Mm. and tell somebody else that you don't like me because of my culture. Very polite. I'm so sorry, but I don't like you. (laughs) Um, For no good reason. For no good reason, other Mm -hmm. than I was born of a particular skin color. But interestingly, that happens in the culture that I was born into, as well as others. Um, When I was in school, I was called too white to be black, but too black to be white. Because I chose to not necessarily hang out with a particular set of people from the islands who were spending more time playing cards mm. than actually going to class. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, I'm from Barbados. So Barbados, we, we can be known as snobs. We are known to be more English than the English will ever be. <laughs> so if I spoke slang, my mother made sure that I remembered that I don't speak slang. Okay. <laughs> um, and she made yeah. it very clear, we do not do that. Um, so I've... I've never spoken slang at home. It was something that transcended to school and as a result distanced me from Mm -hmm. others who were of the same background as me. Um, At the end of the day, we're all people and we need to value each other because we were all made by God Mm -hmm. um, and we are human. And by that virtue, we have intrinsic value because he loves us. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop thinking about, well, she's this color, that color, that culture. She talks like this. She doesn't talk like this. He talks like this. He doesn't talk like that. And start actually thinking about people. And kids model this for us really well. Mm-hmm. Kids, when they're young, have friends from all over the place. And there comes a moment in their upbringing when they learn that they are different. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, an ugly seed gets planted. And as older generations, it's our responsibility to dispel that difference and that notion that we're different. We're all human. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that we share in common. So we need to elevate that 
and help to dissipate the rest. Mm-hmm. Oh, joy. This is so good. And I, <clears throat> so one of the, the books that I read mm. and that kind of in, inspired me is this book, One Unity in a Divided World by Deidre, Deidre Riggs. And she talks about, this is not a book about race. She is an African-American woman. Um, but she says, this isn't a book about race. This is a book about unity. <laughs> and so I think you're singing from the same song sheet. And it's so funny because she actually talks about integrated experiences. Like we're not a black church or a white church. We're a church. <laughs> so Period. how do we do that? That's actually a really big question to unpack. And I would like to do that more. And I think that might be another podcast. <laughs> it will be um, an Because I would thing. actually like to have our friend, Mary Lynn, our mutual friend, Mary Lynn, yes. also come and speak to that because she comes from a Taiwanese Canadian background. And mm-hmm. so I would just love and to have her brilliant. speak. She is brilliant. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? Um, but one of the things she talked about in here is about that God invites us. Uh, this is, I think this is great. It's in a chapter titled beyond our wildest imagination, mm. which yeah, you'll like that. <laughs> uh, God invites us to be kingdom come people on earth as it is in heaven, tilling the ground, cultivating this, the places he leads us so that oneness and unity can thrive. Planting new paradigms right in the middle of the way we've always done things. This way of living is countercultural. It doesn't look like anything we're used to. Mm. And um, and then she talks about the messy middle and about a neighbor wanting to build a new carport and how it was a real mess. <laughs> they had to tear it down before they could rebuild it, right? And that she says, um, those of us who find ourselves in the midst of chaos often mistake the chaos as failure. We see ourselves as having taken the proverbial two steps back before taking any steps forward. And I think, I mean, we talked a little bit about being afraid of technology mm-hmm. and afraid of that co- that conversation. But I think we're also afraid of that conversation in race because it feels like we need to, we need, we do need to tear things down. We do. Like there are things that we need to tear down in the church. And it's uncomfortable because it's the way we've always done them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think this is across the board. This isn't is. one church. This isn't, this isn't, I'm not talking about people's church. I'm tra- talking about the church. Period. We've got yeah. things we need to tear down and things we need to build. Um, and in the middle, we got to clean up the mess. Like you got to mm-hmm. clean up. If you're tearing down the carport that doesn't actually fit the car anymore. <laughs> and then guess mm-hmm. what? Probably never fit the car. Like let's talk. Okay. This, this situation that we're talking about never fit. Um, there's gonna, it's going to be messy. And so how do we do that together? Like, I guess, how do I start the conversations and say, listen, Joy, can you tell me, can you tell me how I'm doing racist things and I don't even know it? Am I allowed to ask you that question? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and like, what are some of the things, what, what, now, now you don't know me necessarily, but you might say, okay, here are some things in the church that we could change right away that we don't even realize. And one of them is around food. We talked about that. Um, If you're from the islands, I learned this. Cold platters are not food. So like this is a really basic thing. Find out what people eat. Like doing a sandwich buffet and salads is not what you want to come for. Is that right? Definitively not. There's food food and then there's sandwiches. (laughs) Sandwiches go over there. Food, food, food is food hot. Is hot. So uh, is that, that's a really basic thing, right? It is. So how do we do that? Um, I know for, <laughs> I have a really good friend and she laughed because she is, she is a brilliant sandwich maker and she makes these extravagant creations, 
which are lovely. So she would make the sandwiches and I would bring soup that I made in a pressure cooker and I would leave it in the pressure cooker, wrap it all up tight so it would stay hot. And I'd have soup first, then I would have the sandwich. And one day I said, okay, hon, I need to tell you something. I can't not have hot food. She goes, huh? I said, I can't not have hot food. I was raised, you have hot food. The first thing you drink in the morning needs to be a hot drink because it dispels the gases that have built up all night. Who knows if this is true or not? It is just how we are raised. Mm -hmm. So it dispels whatever gases build up in the night and then you can digest a healthy meal for breakfast and continue through your day. I said, so just to have a sandwich, I said, that's a cold thing. There needs to be something hot. So that's why I always bring soup. I got to know her a little bit better before we had that conversation because I didn't want to offend um, because truly she does a beautiful job with these sandwiches and they are really, really good because she puts hot peppers in them. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, We're just not going to go there. Um, But it's being willing to have those conversations. And if we're really friends, and this Mm -hmm. probably harkens back to something else, we need to develop true, healthy friendships and stop being afraid of conflict. Mm. because we disagree about something or I have something to talk to you about does not mean that I hate you. Mm. It does not mean that I dislike you. It does not mean that I don't want to spend time with you. What it does say is I care enough about this relationship that we're going to have the conversation. Hard as it may be, as messy as tearing down the Mm. carport might be so that we can build something better together. Mm -hmm. So it's having those conversations, being willing to dig deep in the dialogue and recognizing that it is going to get very messy as we expose all of those things before we can build something beautiful together. And when you think of scriptures, it tells us one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And it talks about every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Mm -hmm. We need to be building that Mm -hmm. together now. So as you think about that, as you think about your own circle of friends, a good question to ask is, are all my friends like me? Mm. Whether that be, are all my friends all Christian or are all my friends all of one race Mm -hmm. or are all of my friends all female? These are, Mm -hmm. it's not an easy question to ask, but it's something that we need to ask ourselves. And then as we sit with God, God, how does this change? Who have you placed in my path that I've ignored because they weren't like me? Mm -hmm. Because God places people in our path all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. And sometimes we just don't see it because we're so focused in. So Mm -hmm. just stepping back for a moment and letting God show us what he has done in the past and how he can move us forward. And when we build those real relationships, the church gets more diverse too, doesn't it? It does. So it starts, it truly, it starts with us. It starts at home. Oh man, that's that Mother Teresa. If you want to, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Yeah. And I think that's also go home and love your neighborhood and go home and love your community and love your, your people. You are my people. Yes. You are. (laughs) We are. Um, This is a big conversation and I think Mm -hmm. this is just really scratching the surface and we need to talk more. And so we're going to have to do this again um, because there is, there's a lot to talk about. And I think we ignore this conversation in Canada. I think that's honestly what we do. We're not even polite about it. We just ignore it. Yeah, because it, it's painful. It's, 
it's ugly. It's, mm-hmm. it's scary um, to actually see and recognize some things about ourselves that we mm-hmm. necessarily aren't going to like. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can even think of, there was a city in Canada, Canada that up until the year 2002, if I'm correct, a person of color could not sleep overnight because it was illegal. Seriously. And I remember when I found that oh, out, joy. I sat there and I went, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? And it's not to say that people didn't sleep over, no. but that this was actually a law that was on the books in 2002 is like, okay, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Where am I living? Mm-hmm. Um, and even now I'm, I'm listening to an audio book that just talks about the legal system in the States um, and just some of the things that have been permitted it blows my mind. So mm. when we tear down the carport, it's not mm-hmm. going to be, it's not going to be beautiful. We're going to find termites and worms and wood rot and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But then when we build a fresh on a strong foundation, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to tend. And I'll tell you, you know, I think one of the, the times that I realized, um, even I think it was just last year or two years ago that I I didn't realize how much I didn't know was I lived in Georgia, United States for four years. And I, I, I toured so many plantations and yeah, I toured plantations and all these, and I was fascinated with this and, um, and I was horrified at what I didn't know about slavery in the, I, I didn't know things like I didn't know, um, the implications. I just didn't understand. I mean, I was also young. So let's just be honest. I was also 23. I was from the West Coast of Canada, multiculturalist, looks like Southeast Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the way it is. And I was actually raised in a very multicultural home. My parents had 56 kids live with them from around the world. And so it was enormously, my, my dad was the best Taiwanese cook mm. <laughs> I knew. So, but I didn't know. I didn't know the culture in our, on our own continent. And mm-hmm. I didn't understand the implications. I didn't understand. Um, I, I just still don't understand. And I don't know if I ever can fully understand, but it was a couple of years ago. I actually was back in uh, Nashville for an event and I went to a plantation. And for some reason that day, when I looked at the slave cabins that were still standing there, I broke. I totally broke because I actually thought I started to, this makes me tear up because I started to look at it because I was friends with people like you. Mm-hmm. And I started to look at it through a different set of eyes or try to at least and say, how would it feel to be Joy standing here and looking at that? Not me. Sorry, mm-hmm. I get really emotional about this because I don't. Good. You have a heart. Yeah. Well, because I don't, I don't understand. Um, like I, I, until we start to see through each other's eyes and realize this is my sister, my sister will be wounded mm-hmm. by this. I can look at it as interesting history, like sad, mm-hmm. interesting, not interesting as in, oh, that's not cool. No, not at all. No. <laughs> not to be clear, mm-hmm. not at all. But I can look at it as history. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would assume that you would look at that same place through a different lens or that the people I'm friends with, I think of, um, oh, Toronto Mass Choir, Karen Burke. Karen Burke. And her family came through the Underground Railroad to Canada. Fascinating history when she shares it. But if I was standing there with Karen, um, how would I see this differently? 
And what would it feel like? And I think that that's part of our story. For me, it's the opposite. What would it feel like to be my sister Ellen standing Mm -hmm. here looking at this and what would she take away from it? Mm -hmm. Because when you think of just that time in those places, there was a lot that happened on both sides. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I take away from it also are who were the pioneers of that time? What did Mm -hmm. they do differently? Mm -hmm. How did they fight against it? And how did they succeed? Mm -hmm. Um, So when you hear the stories of the Underground Railroad and just those people who stood for something different Mm -hmm. despite what it would cost, what does it look like Mm -hmm. to be those people on the front lines Mm -hmm. making a difference? Because as women, we continue to pioneer Mm -hmm. in the landscape of ministry. As women, we continue to pioneer in the business sector As women, we continue to pioneer no matter where we go because we are women. Um, So we always have a responsibility to be looking back and saying, how can I make this different for the next generation? Mm. What can I leave that they won't have to fight so hard to get to this place? Mm -hmm. Um, So there are many lenses through which to look at it. Um, You can look at it and, and get lost in it, which is very easy because there were so many atrocities committed so much pain. But there were also incredible stories of courage mm-hmm. and change makers mm-hmm. that came from that time. So how do I look at that and how do I learn to be more like them? Mm. Oh, that's so good. Well, because I'll tell you that can, I love history. I'm a, I'm a history You're nerd. A history nerd. I am. You and my and, husband. <laughs> and one of the fun things for me has been recently learning about my Quaker history <gasps> because my um, my mom's grandma was a Quaker mm-hmm. and Quakers that came to Canada. And so as I've been learning that, I, we just visited Rochester over okay. Christmas holidays, and I got to see where Frederick Douglass would have tea with C- Susan B. Anthony, who was a Quaker. Mm-hmm. And she was suffrage for women mm-hmm. and for people of color. Mm-hmm. And Frederick Douglass, an amazing, an amazing historical figure, um, pioneer. Mm-hmm. And so I've been and looking at how this is in Canada. So I think we can look back at some of that too, our roots too. Our, this faith, to. our faith community led the way. Mm-hmm. We can continue to pioneer. So yes, we can. And this is a big conversation. We're going to have to keep this conversation <laughs> going um, because I think a lot of people can learn from this. And this is how we affect change across our country, right? We got to do this together. We got to tell the stories. I always say the church in Canada is small and we need each other. Yes, and so... So having these conversations helps us do this together. So thank you, Joy. Thank you for pioneering in this area. Oh, girl, you fill my heart. (laughs) And so does Indian food fill your belly. Yeah. Okay, it's time for lunch. (laughs) All right. So wherever you are listening today, I hope that you've had one nugget at least to take away. And and let's continue this conversation and, and... look in your look around see who's in your circle or who is who God's putting in your path today and have a good conversation with them find out what food they like to eat right it brings us all together because we we need to eat (laughs) our next door neighbor is Filipino we eat a lot of great Filipino food so we're good (laughs) awesome thanks for joining us today Joy thank you for having me it's been a pleasure so good Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, your marketing team for good. Graf Martin Communications is Canada's leading PR and marketing agency serving faith-based organizations from coast to coast. 
Visit graphmartin.com to learn more. <laughs>